0: Welcome to the Knox Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're here. We hope this resource
1: is a blessing to you. Let's jump in. Today's reading comes from the first chapter of Jeremiah, verses 4 through 10. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord. God, I truly do not know how to speak, for I am only a boy. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a boy, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms, to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord.
0: Good morning, Knox. Good morning. If you don't know me, my name is David Bruner. I'm one of the pastors here. It's a joy to be with you today. I want to say hi to everyone watching online and at home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we hear the word of Holy Scripture, we pray that we would hear to your Son, Jesus, speaking to us through it. Grant that by the power of his Holy Spirit, we may understand your word. We may take it into our hearts and apply it in our lives. It's in Christ's name that we ask this. Amen second reading for today comes from the 27th chapter of the book of Jeremiah. In the beginning of the reign of King Zedekiah, son of Josiah of Judah, the word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Thus the Lord said to me, make yourself a yoke of straps and bars and put them on your neck. Send word to the king of Edom, the king of Moab, the king of the Ammonites, the king of Tyre and the king of Sidon by the hand of the envoys who have come to Jerusalem to King Zedekiah of Judah. Give them this charge for their masters. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, this is what you shall say to your masters. It is I who by my great power and my outstretched arm have made the earth with the people and animals that are on the earth, and I give it to whomsoever I please. Now that I have given all these lands into the hand of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, my servant, and I have given him even the wild animals of the fields to serve him, all the nations shall serve him and his son and his grandson until the time of his own land comes. Then many nations and great kings shall make him their slave. But if any nation or kingdom will not serve this king, Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, and put its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, then I will punish that nation with the sword, with famine and with pestilence, says the Lord, until I have completed its destruction by his hand. I spoke to King Zedekiah of Judah in the same way. Bring your necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him and his people and live. Why should you and your people die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence, as the Lord has spoken concerning any nation that will not serve the king of Babylon? Do not listen to the words of the prophets who are telling you not to serve the king of Babylon, for they are prophesying a lie to you. I have not sent them, says the Lord, but they are prophesying falsely in my name, with the result that I will drive you out and you will perish, you and the prophets who are prophesying to you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So since January, we've been working through a series on the Bible here at Knox, a series called Long Story Short. We started way back in the book of Genesis, and we're journeying through many highlights of the biblical story. Last week, we looked at the kings of Israel. We saw how Samuel predicted that the kings would use their power to serve themselves, and how this sadly came to pass. This week we're taking another step further along in our story by looking at the prophets. One helpful way of connecting this week and last week is to see the prophets in relation to Israel's kings. We know that many of Israel's kings started to go astray. They worshipped false gods. They used their royal office to enrich themselves to get money. And when that happened, God sent prophets to try to put them back on track, to try to put the people of Israel back on track. The prophets were there to call the kings and the people to repentance, to right living. Now, I don't know if you know this, but a message of repentance is a hard sell, It's not exactly everyone's favorite message. You can imagine for a second, what if I sent you a text message and I was like, hey, can you give me a call? It's Pastor Dave. I'd like to share a message of repentance that I have for you. Will you please call me back? It's very important. Now, some of you would never call me back because you don't want to talk to anyone on the phone and you don't know how to do that. But some of you would say, I don't want to hear a message of repentance. That's weird. I don't want that, right? That's how it was for Jeremiah. Um, often we are told that the role of a prophet was to predict the future, especially the coming of a Messiah. And there's some truth in that, but in fact, in Scripture, the prophets are generally much more interested in offering a commentary on the present than a prediction about the future. Rather than thinking of them as foretellers, we should think of these prophets as forth tellers. Those who boldly shared God's word about the present with their contemporaries. Each one of the prophets is unique. This week, we're focusing on Jeremiah. Jeremiah lived in the time when the Hebrew people had divided into two separate kingdoms. He lived in the southernmost kingdom, which was called Judah, centered around the city of Jerusalem. And his public ministry happened around 625 B.C. to 587 B.C., so a period of almost 40 years, his whole lifetime. Most of his ministry took place during the reign of King Zedekiah, who's one of the very last kings of Judah. And as I said, his ministry was a ministry of repentance, and there were two sides to that. The first side of it was that God told him to tell Israel that they had forsaken the covenant he had made with them. Israel had forsaken the covenant they'd made with God. They had worshipped other gods other than the one God of Israel, and they had allowed widespread social injustice. They had allowed the poor to be oppressed and the most vulnerable members of the community to be taken advantage of. So he had to tell them that they would turned away from the covenant and sinned. Second, Jeremiah also had to tell them that in response to those sins, God had decreed that a foreign power, the empire of Babylon, would be allowed to reign over them. And not only over Israel, but over all the other people groups surrounding them. That's why our scripture was talking about Assyria and Moab and all those other groups. All of them were going to be swallowed up by Babylon. And as you can imagine, this was a tough message to share. The same God that brought Israel out of slavery in Egypt will now effectively bring them right back into slavery and bondage under Babylon in response to their sins. It's not exactly an upper of a message, is it? As you can imagine, he was not particularly popular among his fellow Hebrews. The ordinary people didn't want to hear about their sins. They didn't want to hear that they would turned astray and they needed to repent and come back to God. And the king and his supporters didn't want to hear about submitting to Babylon. They considered Jeremiah's message unpatriotic, borderline treasonous. They thought their job was to get rid of Babylon, to retain and grow their independence as a people, and they didn't like Jeremiah coming around telling people that God wanted something else. There were plenty of prophets, so-called, in Jeremiah's day and age who preached a message directly in opposition to the one Jeremiah said. And so Jeremiah's persistent preaching of the message God gave him got him into a lot of trouble. People ridiculed him, and they burned his writings. They plotted against him and tried to take his life. They put him on trial. At one point in the book of Jeremiah, he escapes from an angry mob with barely his life. If you look on the cover of your bulletin here, you'll see an image of a man down in a pit. I'll give you one guess who that is. That's our friend Jeremiah. At the end of his story, the Israelites get so sick of hearing from him about how they need to repent, they throw him down at the bottom of a pit, and he barely escapes with his life. And yet for all that, Jeremiah is so doggedly faithful to the message God has given him to preach. He absolutely will not give up. At one point in his book, he says the word of God is like a fire in his bones that he can't keep shut up and inside of himself no matter how much he wishes he could. No matter how much he knows his life might be a little bit easier if he did. And what we see in our scripture for today is one illustration of Jeremiah's persistent faithfulness to God his persistent efforts to get through to his people. A big part of his message was that Israel was not supposed to resist Babylon. So what does he do? He makes a yoke and puts it on his neck. Now, I don't know if you grew up on a farm. Some of you may know what a yoke is. Some of you may not. I had to look it up. A yoke is typically made out of leather and a good stout piece of wood. You can see one up there on the screen. It's something you put on cattle, or a team of horses, to help them walk in a straight line, move in a straight line, so that if you're plowing your field, you can get long, straight rows, which is what you want. It fits over their neck and shoulders, and Jeremiah wore that yoke as a symbolic gesture. It was a way of saying, just like a cow wears the yoke of its master, so we need to accept and not resist the rule of Babylon. Now, maybe that seems a little bit bizarre to you. Maybe it is a little bit bizarre. It certainly seemed bizarre to Jeremiah's contemporaries. But as the kids say, that's a feature and not a bug. It's bizarre on purpose. It's not being weird just to be weird. When people are checked out, when people are lazy and complacent, When people don't want to hear what you have to say, it takes a big, dramatic, strange gesture to get their attention. I've experienced that in my life and I bet you've experienced it too. Back when I was getting my PhD, one of my friends was teaching a class on Christian theology and this class met at 2.30 on Friday afternoons, which meant he was in trouble. From the word go. Because everybody had a nice big lunch. They didn't want to be there. They wanted the weekends to be here. And he had to teach them about John Calvin and all these things. He was fighting uphill. And there was one Friday that was particularly tough. When every eye was at half mast. When no one had done the reading. When the discussion was listless and going nowhere. And my friend had a stroke of genius. He said, all right, all right, all right. Close your books. And they closed your books. And he said, stand up. And they stood up, and he reached into his pocket, and he pulled up Spotify, and he put on the 1970s classic, Kung Fu Fighting. <laughs> this is true. And he said, I order you to have a pretend Kung Fu fight with the other students in this class. And they said, teacher, you've gone insane. Like, this is, this, what, what, what are we, and he said, no, I'm serious. Pretend Kung Fu fight until the song is over. Go." And so they did. They pretended to karate chop each other and roundhouse kick each other and knee each other in the face. No one was injured, but they all got up, they got moving, and it was so silly. It was so bizarre. It was so unexpected that it just changed the energy in the room. The song finished. He hit stop. He had him sit back down, and they had a rather productive final 20 minutes of the class. Now, Jeremiah is not teaching a lesson in theology. His mission is bigger and more serious. His mission is to shake King Zedekiah and the rest of the Hebrews out of their complacency. His mission is to wake them up. He wants to help them see that the answer to their troubles is not more of the same. It is a U-turn. It is a radical reorientation of their whole life and every single priority they have. Quiet conversation and diplomatic words are okay when a person already knows there's a problem. When they are spiritually and emotionally asleep, something more powerful is required. So yeah, Jeremiah speaks in strange and dramatic ways, and he performs bizarre and unusual actions in order to wake up his sleeping people to the urgent spiritual crisis they are confronting. Some of you may have heard of the amazing Christian writer Flannery O'Connor. One of the greatest writers of the 20th century and a serious Christian. She once said this about her writing. When you can assume that your audience holds the same beliefs you do, you can relax and use more normal means of talking to it. But when you have to assume that it does not, then you have to make your vision apparent by shock. To the hard of hearing, you shout, and for the almost blind, you draw large and startling figures. Now that's an excellent description of her fiction, and it comes straight out of the prophets. Jeremiah wore a yoke to symbolize acceptance of Babylonian rule, and many of the other prophets did similarly strange things. The prophet Isaiah walked around naked to symbolize the impending defeat of Egypt. The prophet Ezekiel lay on the ground on his side for a whole year to symbolize God's judgment on Israel's sin. The prophet Hosea married a woman who was a prostitute to symbolize the pain God experienced by being stuck with unfaithful Israel. Each of these bizarre actions was a way of trying to get through to God's people, a way of shouting to the deaf or drawing a large and startling figure for the blind. The prophets were brave enough and faithful enough to be strange. They were brave enough and faithful enough to do unusual things to get their message across. And I think there's a word from God for us here today. What are we in the church willing to do to get through to people with God's word? In what ways are we willing to be unusual, strange, weird, bizarre, (laughs) so that people will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ in a new way? I think that's one of the questions Jeremiah poses for us. And I wanna share in conclusion one example of what that might look like for us today. This is from a book I read many years ago. It's a book called Blue Like Jazz. Have any of you heard of Blue Like Jazz? A few of us, it's a good book. It came out about 20 years ago. So I read it when, I'm, when I was young and hip. Now it's not a young hip book anymore, but it's, it's great still. Donald Miller writes about a Christian ministry that he was involved in at Reed College. Reed College, which is in the Portland, Oregon area. Now, as you may know, the Portland, Oregon, the Pacific Northwest, generally, it's not the most religious part of the country. A lot of folks don't believe in, in God or have no per- particular faith in that part of the country. Reed College, in particular, at the time, had a reputation for not being very welcoming to organized religion. There are a lot of students didn't care about God, a lot of students actively hostile toward the, toward the church, a lot of students just see Christians as kind of judgmental busybodies. And every year at Reed they would have this festival called the Ren Fair, the Renaissance Fair, and they shut down the campus, they canceled classes, and everybody imbibed various sorts of substances, and there was all kinds of wild and crazy behavior. And usually the few Christians on campus would just lay low at that time, just hide out. But one year, this one student has a brilliant idea for a Christian ministry, a witness, a way to get through to some of the other students on that campus. He says, look, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna build a confession booth. And they say, what? He says, yes, we're gonna build a confession booth, but we're not gonna accept confessions from them. We are going to offer confessions to them and so they talked about it for a minute, and then they started building this confession booth in preparation for Ren Faire, right on the quad of the campus. It was like a big tent, and they put a bunch of chairs in it and some candles. They hung a sign out front, confession booth. And on the first day of Ren Faire, this guy named Jake comes in and sits down and starts talking to Donald Miller. And here's what happened. Jake said, so what is this? Um... I'm supposed to tell you all of the juicy gossip I've done at Ren Fair, right? "No," I said. But I'm supposed to confess my sins, right? "No. Um, so there's this group of Christians on campus," I said. We are followers of Jesus, and we believe He represented certain ideas that we have not done a good job of representing. He, he asked us to represent him well, and we've failed him in that. So there's this group of us on Kippus that wanted to confess to you. You're confessing to me, Jake said with a laugh. Yeah, we are confessing to you. I mean, I'm confessing to you. You're serious. His laugh turned to something of a straight face. I told him I was he looked at me and told me I didn't have to. I told him I did. And I felt very strongly in that moment that I was supposed to tell Jake I was sorry for everything. Well, what are you confessing, he said. Well, there's a lot, I said. I'll try and keep it short. Jesus said to feed the poor and to heal the sick. I've never done very much about that. Jesus said to love those who persecute me. I tend to lash out, especially if I feel threatened. Jesus did not mix his spirituality with politics. I grew up doing that. I know all of this was wrong. And I know that a lot of people will not listen to the words of Christ because people like me, who know him, carry our own agendas into the conversation rather than just relaying the message Christ wanted to get across. So, I've not been a very good follower of Jesus. There's a lot more. (laughs) It's all right, man, said Jake, very tenderly. His eyes were starting to water. Well, I said, clearing my throat, I'm sorry for all that. I forgive you, said Jake. And he meant it. Jake sat there and looked at the floor and then into the fire of a candle. It's really cool what you guys are doing, he said. A lot of people need to hear this. He shook my hand, and when he left the booth, there was someone else ready to get in. It went like that for a couple of hours. I talked to about 30 people. Many people wanted to hug me when we were done. That's a story that would make Jeremiah proud. Those students at Reed College were deaf to the gospel. Why? Well, no doubt because of their own flaws and foibles and sins, but In significant part because of the flaws and failures of the church, of the church's own members in the past and today. And what they needed was not a talk or a sermon or a service project. They needed a sign that the church wasn't pointing fingers at them or standing in judgment over them. They needed a sign that Christians had enough humility to recognize their own flaws and mistakes. That's what would start a conversation. And thanks to the inspiration of that one student, that's exactly what happened at Ren Fair. Now, those Christians just built a confession booth. They weren't wearing a yoke around their neck or walking around naked. They probably would have fit right in if they had been. But make no mistake, that was the perfect way to get through to those people. Now, we live in a very different world than Jeremiah and Zedekiah. But nevertheless, Jeremiah and all the prophets give us a powerful reminder. They were called to proclaim God's message to an audience that wasn't all that interested in what they had to say. You and I are called to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And like them, sometimes we're going to find that people aren't all that interested in that message. And in the face of that immense challenge, Jeremiah never gave up. He preached and proclaimed and acted out the message with dogged persistence and faith and creativity. He found inventive ways to bring his message to life. And I hope we can be inspired by his example to find new and creative ways to proclaim the gospel and to break through to those whose ears are blocked. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information on how to get connected, please visit our website at knoxpres.org. That is k-n-o-x-p-r-e-s.org. You can also
1: subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Podcast, or Spotify.